so yeah, like Chris mentioned, um, we've been going through the Psalms. Actually, we're doing summer in the Psalms. So a couple Sundays ago, Wade did Psalm 139, and then Chris did Psalm 8 yet, or last Sunday. And so then today I have Psalm 145. And also, as Chris was sharing, the Psalms are just a really beautiful book of songs. They're songs of praise, but they're also songs of supplication, and they're songs of lament. Um, and the neat thing is the Psalms are kind of bookend where they have praise in the beginning and just this call to worship. And then throughout there's this crying out and wrestling with the world and seeking God out and lamenting the state that we're in in this broken world. And then it brings it back to close with this crescendo of praise. And so kind of the funny thing is the way this got set up is Chris did Psalm 8, which is a psalm of praise right at the beginning. And then I got Psalm 145, which kind of a neat backstory. It's the last psalm of David in the book of Psalms. Um, And it's also this beautiful song of praise. But the interesting thing is I hadn't, I was in the children's worship last Sunday, so I hadn't actually gotten the chance to hear Chris's message. And so I downloaded the podcast right before I headed out to meet with Chris to go over my sermon notes. And I'm, I'm listening to it, I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like the way he started out is exactly how I'm starting out mine today, which makes sense because we're formed in the same way and we're going through two books written by the same person with a lot of the same intent. But So for the people that were here last Sunday, you know, I'm actually not sorry because this is a great practice and I'm glad you get to go through it again. But so today what I want to throw out before we actually dig in the text is when you hear the word great, what comes to your mind? An event, a person, a created thing, what is it? So just take a second for that, and then I want to hear from a couple of you guys. When you hear the word great, what is the first thing that pops into your mind? What's that? High quality. High quality. Yeah. So flesh that out a little bit, like what high quality and what? Yeah, so it's just, uh, so a created thing, like something that's been made. And it, what's neat is even in that, even in shoes and jeans, you can see the handiwork of a person who's created in God's image. And so you see that outpouring of them creating and pouring their best of what God's given them into that object. So no, that's perfect. Who else? What, what comes to mind? Dude, I am right there with you. <laughs> Whenever you eat something, and it's funny because like it, when you're really hungry, especially, and then you sit down and something's been prepared for you. And I don't know, like for me, when I eat something that Crystal's made and I know she's like, it's not just something she did. Like she actually is doing it for the love of her family and she puts it together. It just makes it taste that much better. But that is definitely a great thing when you can sit down and enjoy a meal. So let's hear it from one more person. It's something great. <laughs> I agree. Now that, when we're talking about like the image of God in people and people being able to do things that are incredible, that 
is by far a great thing. I don't know if, any, if everybody's familiar with that, but it's like, I don't even know how I would describe it, but it's like acrobatic and like music and all kinds of different stuff intertwined, but it is definitely a very like sensory rich experience that shows the greatness of like people's abilities. And it definitely gives me something to aspire to. <laughs> So anyway, the whole reason that I had thought of this exercise was when I was sitting on and studying the text, and as we get into it, you'll see this is a text about the greatness of God. And so I started reflecting on what is great, and you can start to see that, great people, great things, great times. And I thought of something for me that actually combined all of those things into one experience. So... Right after I graduated high school, my, uh, my dad got us a, he was going to give me a present for graduation, and it was going to be a trip to go to Peru, which seems, you know, kind of random for some people in here. It's not that random, but for, for most of the crowd I was rolling with, it was kind of random. And the reason for that is even more random. So when I was growing up, I started studying this place called Machu Picchu in Peru. The first time I did it is because I had to do a history report and my mom threw that out there and it sounded interesting, so I did it. Well then, a few years later, another report came up that was similar, so I wrote another one since I had done a lot of the research. I ended up doing this two or three times, not really plagiarizing myself, actually rewriting the report each time, but digging in more and learning more about it. And it was something that kind of fascinated me. And so my dad, for graduation and for being able to finish school, he wanted to take me to get to see this place. So we're going to Peru, and we're going to go to several different stops, but really the culmination of this trip is going to be to visit Machu Picchu. So I lived here in Arizona. My dad lived in Virginia. So for us to go, we were going to fly out, and we were going to meet in Texas and then fly down. Uh, actually, my younger brother was with, uh, was with us too, so we were gonna fly out the three of us down to Peru. But things right off the bat didn't go the way we were expecting them to. You see, my sister had been battling cancer for about a year and a half prior to this trip. And she was not doing very well. And honestly, I was in a lot of denial about it, but pretty much everybody else knew that she wasn't gonna make it very much longer. So anyhow, as soon as we land in Texas and I'm walking and I see my dad, I know something's wrong because he has a complete blank look and I'm getting closer and closer to where I could almost reach out and touch him and he still hasn't seen me. And then when he does, he kind of like shakes and pulls my brother and I to the side. And he tells me that, that morning, he almost hadn't gone. Like, he had almost called and told us not to go because he knew that my sister Abby wasn't going to make it much longer. But she had just pushed him and said, no, like, this is something you have to do with your boys. See, she knew that he and I had a really strained relationship. She actually had a better relationship with him than I did. And she knew this was going to be something that was healing for us, something that was good just us, my brother and I, and him to go on. But shortly after his flight had taken off, she, she passed. And so he had gotten the news as soon as he got to Texas. And so 
I can say that if you ever have a long flight, that is a hard thing to mull over. So we, we sat and we talked about like what that would look like. Should we continue our trip? Should we not? But my dad was really adamant. He's like, this is what your sister wanted. Like, this is what we should do. So we got on the plane and we flew and it was really tough. And so we get there and I can say that throughout that trip, there were a lot of healing moments. Like I think that when, when we really say that God orchestrates all things for good, I can tell you that I believe that because in that, there were, that trip was exactly what we needed to heal and to understand, especially knowing that we had my sister's blessing, like knowing that she had held out just to make sure that we got on, those plane, on the planes to get there. So anyhow, we go through and we, we go through all these different sites and it's an amazing country, amazing people and amazing things. And then we finally get to the time where we're gonna get to go to Machu Picchu and so if you don't know much about it, it is a undisturbed city of the Incas that was nestled up high in the mountains and was literally not found until I think around 100 years ago. It was not very long ago that this was found. And it's this cool thing where it's nestled between one larger peak and then a shorter one that is actually, it's called the Sun Gate and it's where the Inca Trail ends and you come up over this hill and you look over the city which is nestled in this mountain and then you look over the valley behind it. And so we get to go there and it was just beautiful. And we're talking about what we wanna do. Do we wanna go up to the Sun Gate or do we wanna go to the top of this mountain called Huayna Picchu? which is the taller, the taller peak that's there. It sits about a little over 11,000 feet. And that was what I wanted to do. So I climbed up there. And as I'm going up and I'm really looking over it, I'm just by myself. My brother and my dad had decided to go to the other one. So I'm climbing up and I get to the top of this mountain. And it really struck me that I wanted to do something for my sister. And I see on this mountain, there's this little part that's kind of set apart and you actually have to like hop over this little crevice to get to it. And so you're looking thousands of feet down to like the Urubamba River Valley that's down in the bottom of it. So this is not like just this short little drop. It's all the way straight cliff down. But I like hop over it because I figure not too many people have gone over to this place. And I see this kind of cup thing and it reminded me of hands. Now, when I went there, I was not a Christian. There are a lot of different reasons for that, and I'm not going to get into it, but I, I definitely believed that there was a God, and I was wrestling to figure out who that was. But I knew that my sister was really strong in her faith. She had talked to me. I mean, pretty much every time we talked, she shared something about Jesus, about his goodness, about what he had done in her life. And so as I saw those hands, I thought about her and her resting with this God that she loves so much. And so I found this little rock and I put it in the hands and then I took a picture of it. And then I sat and I just looked over this amazing experience. And I, I wish that I could help you guys to visualize what this looked like where you're standing thousands of feet above this lush jungle and you just see clouds rolling through peaks off in the distance, and it is something that I knew there was greatness there. Kind of a cool side note to that 
is that when I was going through my pictures later on, I come to this one that's completely whited out. Like it looked like you had taken a picture of the sun or something because there was no color. It was just all white. Like it just had been all light. And then when I'm looking in the sequence of pictures, I knew that it was that one that I had taken of the rock in the hands. And that it's just another example of God's greatness. He was reaching out. And it made me think of something before we get into uh, the passage for today that I wanted to share. Um, it took me to this passage in Romans. And it's Romans 1.20. And it says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And that's our God. He is so great that even his invisible attributes, everything in all of creation proclaims the beauty and the power and the greatness of who he is. And so that is what comes to mind for me when I think of greatness. So as I've been going over the text today, I've been wondering, it's, it's such a rich text. It's, it's definitely got quite a few verses. Now this is, again, I said it was a Psalm of David. Several of David's Psalms are what they call acrostics, where actually each couplet starts with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So he works through the entire Hebrew alphabet. And so it's a longer passage. And I'm like, gosh, how can I capture this for you? guys in a way that would help you. And I started to think about what we do here at Missio in our rhythms. Um, Chris mentioned the four G's that we have in the magnet. Well, that gives us the foundation for something else that we have, which are the four questions. And so if you're a part of Missio, you're familiar with them. If not, I'll explain them to you and they'll be real easy to engage with. But they ask, who is God? What has he done? Who are we and how do we live? So we look at who God is. And when I think about who God is, I think about when Moses asked God, who will I tell them has sent me? And God gives him what for me would probably be somewhat of an unhelpful answer. He says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. But when we think about it, God has given us the true story. He's given us the Bible, which tells us who he is and who he will be. And so as we go through that today, we're going to pick out those things of who God is. And from them, we'll start to answer what has he done because of these attributes that natural, what are the natural outflows of that for who he is? And then us being made in his image in response to those, how, who are we? And then, on top of that, if we're formed and shaped by this God, by this word, how do we live? So we're going to read the passage today, and then we're going to walk through that together. Um, so you guys, uh, I will ask you to grab a Bible. Usually we leave that optional, but it's going to be very helpful for you as we go through this exercise today if you have the passage in front of you so you can start to scan and find the answer to those questions, but I wanted to give you that up front to be thinking about as we go through the passage. Um, so with that being said, if you guys will, uh, if you're able to, if you'll stand with me 
in reverence for God's word and we'll go through Psalm 145. I extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and rises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. It's the word of God. Heavenly Father, I ask you today that you would just be near to us. Lord, that through this text, through the words that I proclaim, God, that it would be you that would speak of your greatness. Lord, that you would touch each heart in this place, reveal yourself to them, reveal your might and your power, reveal your tenderness and your love for them. God, we do love you and we praise you. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here today And God, I pray that it would be edifying and glorifying to you. In your holy name we pray, amen. All right. So, as I said, that passage is just so rich and it has so much to enter in. Um, a couple things I would point out, just because I, I think they're really cool within the text and you might not gather it right away. First, I don't know if in verse 13, whatever you're reading, it may or may not, the second part of the verse have brackets around part of it. And that's because in a lot of ancient texts, that, that verse was omitted. But the neat thing is, as I mentioned, this is an acrostic. And so actually the Hebrew letter that would be for that couplet was missing in that, so it skipped a letter. Well then, they found ancient texts and even some from the Dead Sea Scrolls 
that include this passage in there. So where a lot of our translations didn't have it, now they've added it in because they've found it not only in ancient Hebrew texts, but then also in the texts at uh, Qumran. So that's one neat thing, just kind of a little like nerd deal to pick out. But then another thing that I don't want you to miss that's gonna be really key as we go through this is you see David, who actually did the same thing in Psalm 8, and he does this again, where he says, I'll bless your name forever and ever at the very beginning of the, um, of the passage. And then at the very end again, it says, all flesh his whole, will bless his name forever and ever. So he's bookending that and letting you know in this that like, it, it's kind of one of those things where you say the main point, you go through all of your points that justify that main point, and then you restate it at the end. And so that's what he's doing for us here. And that's gonna be key as we go through this. So um, we'll go ahead and get started um, with the, uh, the first question, and that's we're gonna be looking for who is God in this? So that coming up, yeah. And so if you remember from the last time I taught, like I have really great penmanship, but this app just really screws it up. And like, unfortunately, I found that that also happens with whiteboards and paper as well. So I, I don't know what that's about, but. So, all right, just a couple of you guys. Who, who is God? What did we see in here? King, yeah, that's definitely really pronounced throughout, right? He is king. What else? Faithful. Righteous. So this also, sometimes I will um, spell things correctly, but for some reason when it translates up there, it's all wonky and I, I don't know what that's about either. <laughs> what else? Great. <clears throat> no, this is good. You guys are doing well. A couple more. What else? Merciful, yes. He's loving, yes. Gracious. Slow to anger. He's a provider. Man, you guys are good. You've got like nailed almost all of the things that I had on there. <laughs> Most worthy. Does anybody see anything else? Yeah, he's near. That's really good. I, actually, that's the one I had at the very end of my list, and I wasn't sure if anybody was going to grab that one. That's awesome. Good job. Majestic, Majestic yes. 
man, if you guys keep going, you're going to find more stuff than I did. Mighty. mighty. Yes, he is mighty. Satisfying. Trustworthy. Kind. Isn't this amazing that, what's that? A father, yeah. Isn't it crazy that in this passage we can find these many things that talk about who God is? And I think about as we start to read this and as we shared like kind of that idea of God being who he is. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. And I think in this passage, we really see that. Like if we wanted to get a clear sense of God, we see this mighty and righteous, gracious creator who made all of things, not that he was for lack of anything, but out of pure love, it was done. And then we see that even in creation's rebellion, we see his mercy to us, the love and kindness to continue to move forward with us. We see in the promise his faithfulness to continue on with that. And then in the sending of Christ, we see so many of these combined, the majestic king but coming down as the most worthy, the only worthy sacrifice for our sins, lovingly and mercifully laying himself down so that we could be covered, so he could provide that righteousness that we didn't have. And we see that continue on in his church that he is the king that sits over all of the throne and that in his might, he comes and he is still near to each and every one of us sending us out. And we see again the faithfulness and the promise that one day he's gonna restore all things. And so as we read the scripture, and that's why I say some of these things, we see it all. We see who God is laid out for us when we can take the time to really reflect on what this is saying of who God is and what he's doing, it it should bring us to our knees in awe of the greatness of this God. So no, that was really good. So now let's see what it says about what he's done. All right, died on the cross. So, no, that's, that's really great, that's perfect. Um, and we do see elements of all of that in this. But as we go through, let's look at like, what does the text say in specifically what he's done for us in that? So what do you see elements within 
Psalm 145 of what God has done. Created all things. Yeah, and I think it says in one part right here, right, it says greatness, yeah, is unsearchable, but created. Yeah, he's a great creator. So what else? Been good to all. What else? Awesome deeds, yes. What else do we see? Saves. Upholds those who have fallen. I'm just going to put upholds. Destroys the wicked. I was hoping someone would be brave enough to read that one out, and I should have known it would be you. <laughs> yeah, he preserves. I'm sorry, I missed that. Satisfies, yeah. It's funny because sometimes uh, when we read that word satisfies, we kind of, you know, we think of it as kind of like, you know, I'm hungry, so I'll eat something that satisfies me. But in this text, like the beauty of what it's saying is that Jesus is sufficient. Like God is sufficient to cover all things and to provide for all things. And so like we use the word satisfies and that's accurate, but I don't think it gives you the depth and richness of what David was trying to convey in that. So go on, what else? Fulfills, yeah. Hears us. Faithful. Opens his hands. Makes known his deeds, yes. So I think I, I think we've got quite a few of these. And I think I want to stop there because there are, that one ties in with a couple of the other things where we talk about making known his deeds, we talk about awesome deeds, we talk about created and being good to all. And so there are so many things that we could touch on on this, but when I was reading this passage, what it made me think of are the God's deeds, again, like I read in Romans, those visible signs of creation that he gave us to represent the invisible attributes, to bring us to praise and awe in that. And so I was thinking about 
what it means up here at the top, and I said it with, his greatness is unsearchable. And so it's talking about all these deeds, but then it says it's unsearchable. And so I start to think, well, what does that mean? And you think about our universe. So what, we, what they say is the known universe is 92 billion light years around. It's made up of two trillion galaxies, some some much larger than our own. And how they figure that out, I have no earthly idea, but they're pretty confident in it. But what that makes me, it makes me reflect on a couple things. Like one, that's huge. Like, I mean, it's hard for me to even fathom how big that is. Then the second thing is that's only the known universe. So once you got to the end of what they know, they're pretty sure there's even more after that. And then what blows my mind even further is if you could somehow possibly get to the end of creation, God is still bigger and outside of that. Like we use the word bigger because it's all our minds can fathom in comparison to things, but that's not even a good term to use for him because he can't even be compared to the universe. Like, and that blows my mind. But if that wasn't good enough, you start to go all the way to the other end of the spectrum. And you look at what people are doing on a molecular level. Like a cool thing is you think about even just these little molecular um, machines that they find that are highly, highly microscopic. But if you go down to the atoms that make up those things, the very building blocks of life that we know of, and then you look at the electrons and the protons, that are so infinitesimal, you can barely pick those up on even the most sensitive machinery. They hypothesize that there are things that are smaller still, these energy strings that make those up, and who knows what makes that up. So God's not even this God that has made this great and vast universe and that stands outside of all of that, but he's also the God that works at a level smaller than the particles that make up an atom. Like this is a great God and his works are worthy to be praised. So then let's talk about who are we. And this one I think was a little bit more challenging for me um, in this passage because rightly so when David's uh, reflecting on God's greatness, he didn't have a lot to say about people because that's not really what he was going for in this, but yet if we look, and especially if we take the idea of who God is, we can start to see who we are in relation to that. So let's just have a couple of you guys real quick throw anything out there that you can think of that would be in there, and then I wanted to walk through and flesh it out a little bit more. Yeah. We're worshipers, right? If God is worthy to be praised and if all generations will praise him, then we are worshipers. And that's another neat thing. Like David probably had no idea when he one generation shall commend your works to another that 3,000 years after he penned this, there are still people that are in a place that he had no idea even existed that are worshiping today using his language and using his words. So we are worshipers. Yeah. 
saints. What's that? Reliant. Yeah, that's good. All right, just a couple more. Meditators. I like it. That was one that I've actually been focusing a lot on is that it says we meditate on him. All right, one more. What's that? God-fearing. I like it. And since Paul was about to say something, I'll let him come in too. What were you going to say? Proclaimers, yes. So, as I was uh, as I was sitting and reflecting on that and who we are, and all of these things came to mind that we're worshipers, that we proclaim God's name, that we fear God, we're reliant on him, that we meditate on his truth. And something else that stood out to me, and nobody said it, and I wasn't sure if they were going to or not, but I was reflecting, there's a lot of language in here about God being king, and we said that. And we talked a lot about his kingdom. And so that made me think, by default, if I am a follower of this king, and I'm called to live in his kingdom, then I'm one of his subjects, and the subjects in a kingdom are called to serve their king. That is what they're there for. Their king offers them protection and guidance, and in return, he demands loyalty and service, and our God is no different. He created all things, and he owns all things, and in his goodness and mercy, he invites us in, and in the same time, he asks us to be his servants. But the beautiful thing is, as Jesus tells us, his burden is light. Because in his service, what he's looking for is exactly what this entire passage calls us to do. We're to praise him. We're to bless him. And we do that with our lives. We do that with our voices when we sing to them. It's another thing that's in this verse where it talks about singing. It, but we also do that when we meditate on his word. We're serving our king. But we also do that when we go out into his world. And in our own dim, reflective ways, we show a little bit of God's grace and mercy to a world that is desperately in need of it. So who are we? We're definitely servants of this great king. So then lastly, how do we live in light of all that we've seen here today and who God is? Because that's what we're rooted in. We're rooted in who God is and what he's done. And from that, we find out who we are and the expression, the fruit of that, if you will, is how do we live? So just throw out a couple of those real quick. We'll probably just do a few of them because there's a ton in here, but I just want to grab a couple. What's that? Submission. submission, yes. We submit. What 
What else? We declare. I love how those two follow each other because submit really in a biblical sense is such a beautiful word. Like we give ourselves fully over to God and in that we have the freedom to declare his truth. It's beautiful. What else? We sing. (laughs) Yeah, I sing when everybody else is singing. (laughs) I don't sing when it's just me. All right, a couple more. Let's do two more. What's that, call out? Yeah, that one's huge. Yeah, from generation to generation. I'm just gonna write that. We'll know. We'll all know what it means. So, a couple other things that were in there, and we hit on them, is meditating on God. Um, we actually got a lot of these. But one of them that we didn't talk a whole lot about, we did talk about it in God, but I wanted to really bring it to light in that God, I think of as mercy. And, in, and the reason I think of that in light of this passage is just what he had done in my life. When I stood on that mountain, when I wasn't follow, a follower of his, when I wasn't even seeking him out, he still showed me that grace and mercy to reveal himself to me through his creation. And as I was reflecting on that, it it brought to mind uh, a story that we find in Luke that I wanna go through with you guys as we close. And that's the story of the Good Samaritan. We're all pretty familiar with it, but I think that it holds significant relevance for us in this passage, and I will show you why. And I submit to you that I will be able to link them together. So uh, many of you are probably familiar with this passage, but a lawyer comes to Jesus and he's questioning him about, you know, how, how do we receive eternal life? And so Jesus asked him, well, you, you're a lawyer. You read the law, not like a lawyer today, but actually someone that studied the Levitical laws, the laws of God. And he quotes two passages, two different passages from the Old Testament. One from Deuteronomy, where he says, love the Lord your God. And that's from a prayer called the Shema that's said every day by the Israelites. But then he pulls out this other obscure passage from the Levitical law, Leviticus 19. And he kind of mashes it all together to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. And then the guy questions him. He's like, well, who's my neighbor? Like trying to, he's like, I've got this God thing down, which is pretty arrogant in and of itself. But then like, who's my neighbor, you know? And so Jesus tells him this story and he tells it in a way that would probably make every person in that crowd uncomfortable and some of them a little angry because what he does is he talks about a man who was attacked on the road and then he takes the hero of the day the priest of the Israelites and shows him walking past that man 
and maybe for the reasons that he was bound by this Levitical law to not touch unclean things and to keep himself pure. And so it's possible that the very law that people think they're following God is what's causing them to dishonor the intent that God was trying to work out. And then at the same time, he brings in another person who's like the sidekick, the Levite, and surely this guy's gonna come through for the Israelites. And no, he passes by on the same side. And then, this is the part that Jesus brings in that makes, him, makes everybody really upset. The Samaritan, who would have been the people everybody suspected were the guys that robbed the first guy. They were the ones that nobody liked, that were half-breeds, that didn't worship God in truth. And yet, he's the one that stopped and risked his own life. He was the one that gave from his own pocket to help this man. And then Jesus, in his fashion, turns it around to him, and he's like, I'm not going to say he's the hero. I'm going to make you do it. Who was that man's neighbor? And the lawyer's response is the one who showed him mercy. And this is what Jesus told him. He said, now you go and do likewise. And so what I would submit to you today is that that doesn't just hold for the mercy of God, What this passage tells us is that each of these attributes that God has, that each of them that he has revealed to us in scripture, that each of them that he has instilled in us, he calls us to. And so as I say today, as you read this, each time that you see this call to praise, this call to worship, you see the mightiness and the power and the glory of God, it should call you to go and do likewise.